Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA lacrosse championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another Flying Solo podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about the art of deception. I often say deception is the difference between good and great. You look at the best players in the world in any sport, they have this quality. Deception is signaling misinformation to your opponent to create an advantage. And to me, deception is the biggest indicator of fluency in a sport, mastery, because it means the player is reading the game and setting up their opponent and making things happen. So, I want to start off by let's let's think about deception in Darwinian terms. Talk about the difference between good and great in evolution or in survival of the fittest. Deception can be the difference between life and death. Deception is instinctive. Deception is instinct. I looked up deception in animals. It is the transmission of misinformation by one animal to another of the same or different species in a way that propagates beliefs that are not true. Mimicry and camouflage enable animals to appear to be other than what they are. There's a lot of different kinds of mimicry. You can imitate the warning signs of a harmful animal. There's camouflage. There are a lot of different types of mimicry. Sometimes an animal will look like a dangerous or poisonous species. Sometimes they'll initiate the warning signals of a harmful species. There's aggressive mimicry. There's distraction displays. There's eyes on the back of the head for protection. Deception is natural. Deception is creativity, and we're all born with it. It is an instinct. 
I want to talk a little bit about military deception. All warfare is based on deception, Sun Tzu. All warfare is based on deception. Therefore, when capable, feign incapacity. When active, inactivity. When near, make it appear that you are far away. When he concentrates, prepare against him. When he is strong, avoid him. Anger his general and confuse him. Pretend inferiority and encourage his arrogance. Sun Tzu. From the Greeks and the Trojan horse all the way through to D-Day and present day, military deception is a critical military deception is critical. Whether it's surprise attacks or feigned attacks, fictional units, smoke screens, double agents, strategic envelopment, a technique favored by Napoleon, a small force distracts the enemy while a larger force attacks the rear. So deception, it's the name of the game in survival, it's the name of the game in nature, it's the name of the game in war. Ted Creighton from Joy of the People is a guy I did a podcast with about a year ago. It had a huge impact on me. And Ted talks a lot about the fact that great players use nonverbal communication with opponents to control them. And I want to talk about this in lacrosse terms now. So let's talk about in dodging. So how can you be deceptive when you're dodging? Well, how about where you're looking, your eyes, and where your head is and head turn, in your posture. You can be in a double threat posture, like a dodging posture. You can, you can set up rollbacks with your posture. You can stand up a little bit and rocker when you're doing hesitations. These are all incredible elements of deception that if you don't do, you're giving an advantage to your defender. You can jab with your feet and your hands. Hesitations are fake rollbacks or fake cutbacks. Of course, we can fake with our stick, hitches and fake shots, multiple hitches. And we can fake passes to set up a split or a redodge or a rollback. And the interesting thing about your stick is it actually syncs up with your feet when you're faking passes. Pretty interesting. I want you to imagine running right-handed towards X and rolling back to your left hand. So there's a lot of ways that you could do that, but in the end, a defender's probably gonna be able to run with you. But if you're running and you fake a pass with your right hand as you're running towards X, as you fake that pass, your right foot is gonna come down because that's how you throw, and that's also how you fake. And by doing so, you're also per perfectly loading up on your right foot to be able to roll back. And that is actually the technique you want with a rollback technique, which is to load up on your second to last step. And I've found that your fakes and your feet actually work together, which is really interesting because I spent a lot of time as a young coach doing a ton of footwork. it there because it looks like you followed through. This is a lot like a hidden ball trick, to be honest with you, whether you're Let's say you're a midfielder and you're coming top side, rolled back top side at like 15 yards and your defender is pushing hard on you and you hard pump in the direction that you're running. Your defender will not be able to tell that you did not throw the ball. How about jump shot fakes? Those are hard pumps. They work all the time. 
a question mark fake. Again, they're kind of like hidden ball tricks, these hard pumps. And a hidden ball trick, it's like, think about this. When you do a hidden ball trick with a flip or a fake flip and it doesn't work, who cares? You didn't lose anything. It's kind of the same thing when you're, when you're playing. If you get somebody to bite on a hard pump, it's a free goal. It's a free play. You should always mix hard pumps into your, into your game. How about baiting? How about baiting someone to swing at your stick? This is so funny because it's such a, it's such an obvious technique and it can't really be taught. It has to be felt. But if you hold your stick, I, I watched uh, Chase Scanlon do this um, from his freshman year, Loyola versus Syracuse. And he, he just dangled his stick right in front of a Syracuse shorty. The guy swung for it, missed, and Chase Scanlon's underneath. An amazing bait was Zach Miller's unbelievable wrong side alley rollback with a little one-hand spin hook. And all of a sudden, a Notre Dame defender is approaching the rollback. And he baited the guy, he baited the defender into the wrong angle. Baiting, so powerful. Hand gestures and voice. How about like if you want to get open, you can sort of be like, yeah, right here, right here, right here. Or you point your finger where you want to pick set and then you refuse to pick, go opposite. You can talk to your teammates. I had a call the other, the other week with Jordan McIntosh, an amazing lacrosse player, plays in the indoor swarm, NLL swarm. And, plays in the PLL for the Chrome. And he was talking about dodging. And he was like, you know, Jamie, when you dodge with speed, it's a signal to the defense to slide. So I tend to dodge more slowly. I can get to my spot. Nobody slides and bothers me. And I score goals. And, and my mom always makes fun of me because Ryan Boyle will be like, oh, there goes McIntosh slow dodging again. Andy Shea, head coach at Yale, talks about sucker doubles sometimes. So a team that loves to double you when you turn your back is a great team to do this against. You just turn your back quickly, draw that double, pop away. You'll have all the time in the world to move the ball and create offense. There are so many amazing ways to use deception and dodging. And yet when we think about teaching dodging, we'll like work on split dodges. We'll work on, you know, all of these different moves when really the easiest way to beat people is to let them beat themselves, let them overplay you. I think I've said this before in the podcast. I remember Gary Gate once saying, after I asked him, what's your favorite you know, move? He's like, I just pretty much wait for people to overplay me and then I beat them. Well, what he's really doing is he's, he's forcing them to overplay with all the different sort of nonverbal signals he's giving. How about deception and shooting? So it's pretty obvious that, you know, you can look low and shoot high. Although it's funny because most people don't work on deception. They kind of work more on the power and the accuracy. But there's kind of two buckets for shooting deception. One is where are you shooting it and how can you be deceptive about that? And one is when are you shooting it and how can you be deceptive about that? So obviously with, with the where part, you know, your eyes, your head, your swing angle, your posture, your body lean. So if you want to, if you're a lefty and you want to shoot a leaner, you would lean to the right, kind of look low right and shoot it far side high. So anybody, so with a leaner, you would, you would look and lean near side low and shoot it far side high. Or if you want to shoot a really nice low to low shot, you release and lift your chest right up. Keep your chin up, your chest up. 
your swing angle makes a big difference in shooting too, because basically your, which is why people talk about, you know, change levels is because when you swing high, it holds the goalie up and allows you to yank it low. And if you swing sidearm, it looks and it appears like you're going to be shooting at far side and you can yank it near side. And if you shoot underhand, it looks like you're shooting low and you can yank it high. But when you start adding swing angle in with your posture and your eyes and your chin up or chin down, you can give mixed signals. So you've got the one signal of the swing angle and then all of a sudden you've got this shoulder body lean, shoulder open, closed hips, and it, which way your feet are stepping. And it really gives mixed signals to a goalie. And oftentimes it freezes them or makes them jump. How about the when of shooting? When you release it? This is really interesting. Darius Kilgore on a podcast with me talked about this and said, when you transfer, transfer your weight from your back foot to your front foot, a goalie will expect the ball. And when it doesn't come at that time. How's it going, everybody? Jamie here. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the content in my Philacrosophy podcast, my Inside the Eight podcasts, or my a Lacrosse Weekend blogs, I would encourage you to check out the store at jamesfreesports.com. I've created awesome content for coaches, players, and parents in both men's and women's lacrosse. For coaches, the coaches training program. It's, it's a combination of cutting edge and practical. We have division one men's and women's coaches all the way down to high school, JV and youth. For players, I've created JM3 player academies, which are designed to teach every variation of every skill for boys and girls cross. And for parents, I've created JM3 recruiting portal, where I've taken all of the content from my blogs, my podcasts, from webinars and other interviews and pooled all of this information in one place where parents can get access to incredible content and insights from the very coaches that you're hoping to play for. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. He will step or jump. This is also why you see so many multiple hitches out of box players, because what they're doing is they're hitching to get the, not only to manipulate an approach, manipulate their man and find their screen, but also to cause that goalie to step and jump move or freeze so the when of when you when you shoot it there's other there's other elements too shooting when when goalies aren't even ready i mean when you shoot without looking if you're coming around from behind the net and you're kind of faking up the field and looking 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 and you shoot a screenshot around somebody and you didn't actually engage with the goalie that's an advantage for you goalie once you engage with the goalie he's going to be more ready but Deception and shooting is huge. Obviously, power is important and accuracy is important. But with deception, it will open up your range and it'll, it'll give you more margin for error. Another quote from uh, Darius Kilgore is, when you shoot with deception, you can hit a spot the size of a watermelon. And when you shoot with pure accuracy and power, you have to hit a spot the size of a grapefruit. And that's true because uh, you're, you're buying time for the receiver. Think about that. Is there anything more important in feeding than buying as much time as possible for the receiver to shoot? If a receiver has more time to shoot, they'll, they'll score more goals. If they have less time to shoot, they'll score fewer goals. Um, and, and this is all about deception. 
whether it's throwing skip passes where you're manipulating an off-ball two-on-one, whether you're making it appear like you're dodging, which is why feeding from a double threat posture with a lever feed is so important, whether it's feeding behind the back because nobody can see it coming similar to a lever. There's no follow through. Nobody can really track it until the ball's almost in the back of the net for the defense reaction. Or with a backhand feed, why do you feed backhand instead of feed with your other hand? Well, because when you face dodge somebody and go hard, let's say you wind up on the wing and face dodge and go underneath hard. It looks like you're all in. You're signaling to the defense to collapse. And meanwhile, if you know where you want to go with the ball, you can kick a feed inside. You can kick it back out to the perimeter. Swing angle makes a difference in feeding too. If you want to throw a skip pass and there's a defenseman sitting there waiting for you, Throw a sidearm feed and throw it right by his ear. He'll have a hard time reading it the same way a goalie does. And that's why twister feeds work really well, too. These misdirection, curveball twisters, swing angle type of throws. Grant Amon does this all the time. He whips the ball underhand and he kind of chitter it be hidden ball tricks. We kind of talked about that in the form of hard pumps, but obviously you got fake and fake flip, various ways of doing that. How about off-ball deception? Have you ever, like, looked a ball off that's coming to you, like a, like a wide receiver in football that knows the ball's coming, but he waits and doesn't give big eyes at all, kind of looks it off as it's coming, and then at the last moment puts his hands out to catch the ball? The same thing. You should be doing the same thing when you're off-ball. If there's a man on defense guarding you and he's not looking at the ball, then you have to look off potential pass your stick can be open and someone can throw it in there and all you got to be able to do is just kind of look it off and wait for it to come but you also might be looking it off because you might see your teammate dodging right to the goal and you want to look it off as if nothing's happening picking off ball there's amazing opportunities for deception on this um, eric law did a beautiful one for the pll atlas with a backup pick for ryan brown when you're cutting off picks, you can set things up too. You can look opposite. You can turn your back. There's so many different ways to be deceptive, and it's so important. Go back to the, the Sun Tzu. Everything you're doing is the opposite. When capable, feign incapacity. When dodging, make it look like you're feeding. When feeding, make it look like you're shooting. That's why triple threat and double threat are so important. You should literally fake so much that not faking is like a fake. All right, so how do we teach deception? So the truth is it can't be taught. It can be presented, it can be explained. We can talk about it, we can break it down, we can look at it on film, and we should, it's really important. But you can't really teach it. You can teach the skill of it, you can rep it, but that's not, that doesn't work in real time because the, the deception part isn't, can you execute a fake? Any, just about anybody can execute some kind of fake. It's more about reading. It's the fluency. It's the understanding. It's the ability to see it happening before it happens and set people up or to react instantaneously with some type of deception. And the fact is, just like the animals, we are born with the instinct of deceptiveness. It happens all the time. But, but the problem is teaching lacrosse skills and teaching and structure actually ends up teaching the opposite of deception. 
I looked up uh, this, the antonym for deception, honesty, candidness, frankness, openness, directness. How about obviousness? <laughs> obviousness is not actually uh, one of the antonyms, but I think it's perfect for this discussion. When you start teaching somebody how to throw, you are not teaching deception. You're teaching a skill with obviousness. So let's point our butt in, in our direction of our target. Let's step with our opposite foot and follow through. I don't remember seeing, going over that one in, in all of the feeding examples of deceptiveness. Why? Because that's not deceptive. And it, it, no matter what you think about teaching, we begin to teach obviousness, whether it's dodging, think about it. All right, let's work on our split dodge. I'm not trying to tell you I don't think a split dodge is an important move. What I'm telling you is when you work on it, you are basically teaching people how to be obvious. And if you're <laughs> working on it against a cone, it's even worse. At least if you're working on it against another human being, you can kind of work on the deceptiveness of your footwork and your angles and stuff like that. But the truth is, even with great dodgers and, and split dodgers, so much of it is just looking it off. It's the eyes part. It goes back to the dodging with all those different types of deceptiveness. It goes back to just where you're looking, how you time it, how you look it off, your head turn, your, your head fakes, your looks, where you're looking. And it's also, if it was just beating one man was all you had to do, then maybe you could do a lot of one-on-ones, but it's not. It's the context of everybody else in your way that's the problem. And then your ability to get a shot off and draw a check. You know how many players can run by their, their, their man really well, but when they go to shoot, they take a check? You go, look at one of the great things that Ryder Garnsey does is that he is incredible with deception, and he has an on-the-run hitch that allows him to draw a check right before he shoots. He draws it, takes the check, and shoots over or under your stick. It's, it's phenomenal. And so you may say, well, then how do we teach stuff? What do we do? And I think the answer is, if you want to work on throwing and catching on the run, it's not a bad idea. Then get partner passing and three-man passing and throw and catch on the run. Because th there is some coordination as it relates to that. But then with almost everything else you do, don't teach technique. Let the technique happen and review it later. I've had unbelievable success with this, with, with my JM3 athletes in, in watching and reviewing film after they're in live situations. And I haven't had even close to the same success in earlier years when we really repped out all kinds of fakes and skills and structure. Why? Because it's not that hard to execute the skill. The truth is, executing any one of these skills, I mean every one of these dodges, feeds, shots, all of it, isn't that hard to do for these, these, these kids these days. They've played so much lacrosse, they can do it all. The hard part is not executing the skill. The hard part is processing what's happening around you and then making a decision to use a skill, which also involves confidence, and then, then when you execute the skill, it's the easy part. And so what, what I recommend is you try to put your kids and your players in situations where they're constantly making decisions and figuring it out on their own. And then use video later and be like, hey, what did you do on that one? How did you do that? What was that? 
Why did that defender pick that play up pass off? And if you go through like this, I think you'll find that your players will grow and you will unlock them from the structure that has held them back in a world of obviousness. So games are uncontrollable, like the jungle, like the wild. Structure is totally controllable. It's like the zoo. It's tough to train in the zoo and have success when you get released into the wild. Thanks, and I hope you have a great day.